Good morning. Good morning. So we are in uh, 1 Samuel today, uh, the book of 1 Samuel. So if you crack open the good book, this is the Old Testament. And it is a long time ago, and I like to draw timelines. So I'll draw a timeline here <coughs> just to kind of illustrate where we're at in the past. So timeline, and it should be something like a line. So let's draw it like this. And it's never straight, is it? We'll go all the way to here. So this is 1 BC. So this is about the time when Jesus is born. So that's already 2,000 years ago. If we were to <laughs> say that this is today, it would probably go and let's see about equal measures here. This is about 2020. So <clears throat> if you think about how far back in time that is, this is 2,000 years. Now if we go back another 2,000, this would be 2,000 BC. We're actually about 1,000 BC. <clears throat> so this is, this is the time right here we're about. So about 3,000 years ago in the region that today is the modern day country of Israel. And so I'll draw that right here. <coughs> and we'll just draw this little thing and I do this and it's terrible, but <coughs> Egypt, this is the Nile Delta, if you want to think of that. <coughs> and then we've got the strip of land going up here where we have what is the Sea of Galilee. In the past, it was called something different. This is the Dead Sea the lowest point on, the, uh, the, on land on the earth, the Sea of Galilee. This is the region where Jesus lived and, and did a lot of his preaching. <clears throat> and right here, we have this town called Jabus. This will become Jerusalem, Jerusalem. We have some other areas around here too. So this is the, the modern day country of Israel. In the past, uh, <clears throat> this was a region that was known for its collection of Hebrew tribes, 12 tribes of Israel, the sons of Israel or the sons of Jacob that inhabited this region that was really called Canaan. <clears throat> so in the past, in this, you know, kind of in the judges period, in the period that we're talking here, the judges, this is a period here from about 1450 BC to about, oh, about 10, 1050 BC. This is the period of the judges. This is the period where we had people like Samson. <clears throat> Um, we had people like Deborah, we had uh, Gideon, and that period is, is ending now. This is a period in which the 12 tribes of Israel were just a loose confederation of tribes that didn't really have any central government, they didn't have any central leader really that was permanent, they did have from time to time a judge, hence the name, that God would raise up occasionally to help to uh, lead the people to fight their enemies and destroy their enemies so that they could have peace again. And then they would have peace, they would have prosperity, their, their economy would improve, and there would be stability and religious stability for a while, like a generation, let's say 20 years. But then the people would fall back into religious uh, corruption. They would fall away from God, you know. This is kind of in our modern day, this is what happens. People get rich, they get maybe a little bit lazy, about following God and following his rules. Um, <clears throat> they start to sin, and then things go bad. It's, it's uh, cause and effect, folks, cause and effect. Uh, the more that you sin and the more that you disobey God, the more problems happen to you. And it's not that God is necessarily punishing you, it's that God has rules for a reason. And when we don't follow those rules, things, bad things happen, and God knows that. It's kind of like telling your children, don't touch the hot stove. Well, what do kids love to do? They wanna to touch the hot stove, right? And you're like, you're gonna get burned. And they touch it and they go, ah, you don't love me. I told you not to touch it. So this is what happens in the period of the judges, 400 years. And finally the people get fed up and they say, 
times are tough. We keep having to go back and forth with this cycle where our enemies keep attacking, we're hiding in caves, our crops are failing, our enemies are attacking us, we have no economy really to speak of, and our religious uh, issues keep growing worse. We want a king. We want to be like everyone else in the region. Egypt has, for at least, by this point, 2,000 years, Egypt has had a king called a pharaoh. Not the same pharaoh, been different pharaohs. But they have a very strong central government in which the king is in charge of everything. Economy, military, um, foreign relations, religion, uh, uh, public works, projects like the pyramids. And so they thrive. And I mean, they have their ups and downs, but they thrive. Essentially, they're thriving. Now, the people right here in, in Canaan are looking at that and saying, well, things are so great in Egypt. And this is after they left Egypt, right? <laughs> they fled Egypt. And they, how easy we forget that back here, this is the period of Moses. Moses fled with the people in the Exodus. <laughs> Just read your Bible, people, right? <laughs> they left because things were so bad. But then you, they leave, and what did they say? As soon as they left, they're like, well, things were so good in Egypt. Why don't we go back? This is human behavior, folks. But they're looking at Egypt saying, well, things are so great. We want a king. We want a king. And God's like, no, I'm your king. And the people are like, but we still want a king. And God's like, no, I'm your king. You don't need a king. If you trust me and you do what I tell you, you'll be fine. I will take care of everything for you. You don't need a king. But we want a king. And God's like, oy vey. <laughs> He's like, fine. He goes, but if you get a king, these are the things that are going to happen to you. He's going to collect taxes and it's going to be oppressive. He's going to take your sons, primarily your young sons, away from you, probably because they're doing things like taking care of the farm and raising your animals, and he's going to put them in the army. He's going to have a standing army. What does a standing army mean? Well, in the period of the judges, there's no standing army. Today, Roger can explain to us that the U.S. has a number of, I don't know if it's one or two million people, he could tell us exactly, there's a, a large number of people who are professional soldiers who are employed to be in the Army or the Navy, the Air Force, Marines, what have you, constantly. They're always working for the government in the military and ready at a moment's notice to go and fight in wars. That was not what was happening in Canaan during the period of the judges. There was no standing army. The only time there would be an army is when there was something that was really bad going on and then the people would rise up and say, we need to have an army. So, so farmers and blacksmiths and sheep rearers and shepherds and, and, and carpenters would say, grab a torch, grab a pitchfork, grab a sword, grab a tool. We're in the army now. Let's go fight an enemy. And they would go fight that enemy. And, and typically in the judges, God would give them victory. And then they would just go right back to what they were doing. God says, if you hire, if, if I appoint a king, there will be a standing army. There will always be an army. And there will be people who go and will fight and die for the king. Uh, your daughters will be enslaved by the king in a harem or, or as his wife. Um, <clears throat> he will take the best, the best things of your land and your produce and, and he will take them and eventually there will be religious corruption, there will be uh, financial corruption and that sort of thing. So do you still want a king? What do the people say? We want a king. We want a king! He's like, fine. I will give you a king. I will give you what you ask for. And in the past couple of weeks we've been talking about who God appointed as the first king of Israel. Who was that? Saul. Saul. 
<clears throat> Saul is the first official king of Israel. Who was Saul before he was king of Israel? He was a farmer. He was a farmer. Nobody. He was a nobody. I mean, literally, God picks Saul out of obscurity to be the new king of Israel. Now, as we have learned over the past couple of weeks, for those of you who have been here, how does this work out? Not so well. Not so well. Saul, probably uh, understandably, is in way over his head. And that is saying something, considering he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He was in way over his head. And now we're getting to the point where Saul is starting to make a lot of very poor choices. And there's going to be, um, there's going to be an accounting for it. So here, in, so here we have Canaan. Today we're going to talk about the Amalekites. Amalekites. They live in the region south of where the Israelites are, <clears throat> kind of in between Egypt and Canaan. Where do we know the Amalekites from? We learned about them way back in Exodus. Do you remember what happened there? Weren't they the ones that wouldn't let the Israelites go through their land, mm -hmm. even though they were willing to pay for water or food? Yes. Moses leaves Egypt with the Hebrews in the Exodus. Almost immediately, they are attacked by the Amalekites. So this is one of the very first battles that the people of Israel will fight and win, but it leaves a lasting impression, and, and neither side is ever like cool with it after that. Um, for 400 years, the Amalekites harbor a lot of anger and animosity towards the Israelites, and the Israelites, of course, are ticked off at the Amalekites or even attacking them. So there is a, for 400 years, there's this animosity that's going on here. <clears throat> and we get into 1 Samuel 15. Let's read that today. And I like to ask for volunteers. You don't have to be Charlton Heston. You can read. Any, anyone is, is, uh, is welcome to read for me. I'm going to ask you to read the entire thing. And this will be 1 Samuel 15, <coughs> verses 1 to 35. Who would like to do that for me? I see That's Thank you. Okay. Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to appoint you king over Israel. Now listen to his message. This is what the Lord All-Powerful says. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, the Amalekites tried to stop them from going to Canaan. So I will punish them. Now go, attack the Amalekites and destroy everything they own as an offering to the Lord. Don't let anything live. Put to death men and children, or men and women, children and small babies, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul called the army together at Telling. There were, uh, were 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men from Judah. Then Saul went to the city of Amalek and set up an ambush in the ravine. He said to the Kenites, Go away, leave the Amalekites, that I won't destroy you with them, because you showed kindness to the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul defeated the Amalekites. He fought them all the way from Havilah to Shur at the border of Egypt. He took King Agag of the Amalekites alive, but he killed all of Agag's army with the sword. Saul, let the, Saul and the army let Agag live, along with the best sheep, fat cattle, and lambs. They let every good animal live because they did not want to destroy them. But when they found an animal that was weak or useless, then they killed it. Then the Lord spoke his word to Samuel. 
I am very sorry that I made Saul king, because he has stopped following me and has not obeyed my commands. Samuel was upset, and he cried out to the Lord all night long. Early the next morning, Samuel got up, and he went to meet Saul. But the people who told Samuel, Saul has gone to Carmel, where he has put up a monument in his own honor. Now he has gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel came to Saul, Saul said, May the Lord bless you. I have obeyed the Lord's commands. But Samuel said, Then why do I hear cattle mooing and sheep bleeding? Saul answered, The soldiers took them from the Amalekites. They saved the best sheep and cattle to offer as sacrifices to the Lord your God, but we destroyed all the other animals. Samuel said to Saul, Stop. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Saul answered, Tell me. Samuel said, Once you didn't think much of yourself, but now you have become the leader of the tribes of Israel. The Lord appointed you to be the king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission. He said, Go and destroy those evil people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until all of them are dead. Why didn't you obey the Lord? Why did you take the best things? Why did you do what the Lord said was wrong? Saul said, But I did obey the Lord. I did what the Lord told me to do. I destroyed all the Amalekites, and I brought back King Agag. The soldiers took the best sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel answered, What pleases the Lord more, burnt offerings and sacrifices, or obedience to his voice? It is better to obey than to sacrifice. It is better to listen to God than to offer the fat of sheep. Disobedience is as bad as the sin of sorcery. Pride is as bad as the sin of worshiping idols. You have rejected the Lord's command, and now he rejects you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I didn't obey the Lord's commands in your words. I was afraid of the people, and I did what they said. Now I beg you, forgive my sin. Come back with me so I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I won't go back with you. You have rejected the Lord's command, and now he rejects you as king of Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught his robe and it tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel away from you today, and he has given it to one of your neighbors who is better than you. The Lord is the eternal one of Israel. He does not lie or change his mind. He is not a human being, so he does not change his mind. Saul answered, I have sinned, but please honor me in front of the older leaders of my people and in front of the Israelites. Come back with me so that I can worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring me King Agag of the Amalekites. Agag came to Samuel in chains, but Agag thought, Surely the threat of death has passed. Samuel said to him, Your sword made other mothers lose their children. Now your mother will have no children. And Samuel cut Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Then Samuel left and went to Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah. And Samuel never saw Saul again for the rest of his life, but he was sad for Saul. And the Lord was very sorry that he had made Saul king of Israel. Thank you. 1 Samuel 15 is one of those chapters that is probably best thoughtfully uh, considered um, before, before making any rash judgments. There is a lot that goes on in 1 Samuel 15. And... Uh, it is best. It is best to think about what you've just read because there's a lot of stuff in here. First of all, I'll just ask you: What are your reactions to this chapter? What stands out to you? No mercy. Let's explore that. And this is this one. Why? I did a little research on the Amalekites. Oh. Turns out they're kind of. Uh, a band of guerrilla warfare 
type people that made their made their living, so to speak, by attacking other nations. And that's all they did. They just constantly attacked, killed, and, and robbed, and took. So kind of like uh, the early version of Vikings. Okay. Um, and so the, the idea that God would say, wipe out everything. Yeah. Well, this has been going on ever <laughs> since, you know, Israel left. Egypt. They've been dealing with the Amalekites, and so has mm -hmm. everybody else in that nation or that region as well. Mm -hmm. The Amalekites mm -hmm. constantly were just bad eggs. Yep. Well, by wiping everything out, <clears throat> that was the only way you're ever going to stop them. Mm -hmm. If you showed them mercy, if you allowed their women, children, whatever to go on living, you're just going to let them get right back up to full strength and continue on what they yep. were doing. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's excellent and it's a really important point and this is the kind of thing that a modern 21st century enlightened person will look at and go, how dare God? Mm -hmm. Who is God to wipe out an entire group of people? First thing you have to imagine is this is not the 21st century. This is a time in which there was terrible things going on between human beings on this planet. There are today. Don't make no mistake about it. In the West, you are very insulated from this kind of thing. That does happen today in places like Africa, where whole tribes will go to their neighboring, neighboring village and wipe everyone out just because they're different than them, just because they speak a different language or worship different deities or something like that. Also, the other, yep, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Saul was supposed to wipe everybody out, sheep everything, yep. and he didn't do exactly what God said. God right. said everybody. Yep. He left the king, which Samuel killed. That kind of shocked me when I seen that. He killed him. He brought him forward and he killed him. Samuel did. <coughs> and then he seen the, he heard the sheep, and he said, you know, I hear the sheep, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, oh, well, he kept that for the good for, for yep. sacrifice. Yep. Well, God wants uh, obedience, not more so than sacrifice. You've skipped right to the end, Lorna. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, you're 100% you're correct, sweetheart. We'll get to the plundering thing in just a minute. I want to I just back up just a minute and talk about the, the religious aspects here. You have to remember, first of all, who created the Amalekites? Whose lives does every human being on this planet belong to? What we tend to forget is that we are not evolved random chance creatures on a planet that just happen to evolve perfectly for the miracle of life to happen. Every living being on this planet is owned by its creator and its creator, your creator and my creator is God Almighty. He created you. He has the right to take your life away. That's just the truth. And if you don't like it, that's just tough because that's the truth. God created you. He has the right to give you life and to take it back away again. But there was a deeper reason why God wanted all of these people to be wiped out. <clears throat> and, it, and a lot of it has to do with the religion. What was the religion of the Israelites? It was supposed to be <laughs> monotheistic and worshiping Yahweh That's only. A, that is a $2 word, monotheism. What does that mean, Laura? It means one God only. One God only. Only worship one God out of many? No, it just means he is the only God. That's it. One God only exists. 
There is only one God. The Hebrews are completely different than every other religion in ancient history. And no matter what people tell you and hacks that tell you that Egypt came up with it first are wrong, they're dead wrong. Akhenaten probably took it from the Hebrews, but he's the only other example that I know of in ancient history in this period in which there was anyone who thought that there was only one God to the universe. Every other culture on earth thought there were many gods, many, many gods, and they were, they were evil. They were, they were malicious. They hated humans. They, they created them and then did it. They created human beings to serve them, basically, to wait on them, um, to provide for them, which is ridiculous in itself. <clears throat> the Hebrews alone said, no, there is only one God. The truth is there's only one creator, and he created you, and his name is Yahweh. Jehovah is the English version of that. Um, God Almighty, El, Elohim. There's, there's different versions of this, all one God. <clears throat> All of these religions around the Israelites believed in multiple gods, and then the kinds of religious practices they had were very abhorrent. What kinds of gods are there in antiquity? Gods that cover what kinds of things? Fertility, rain, <laughs> yep. the sun. Fertility, rain, sun, crops, what else? Oh my gosh, it's standing room only. Look at us. Pretty much anything that physically exists, they had a bed for it, you know? Yep. Like anything in nature. Yep. So or, nature. You know, the moon. Yep. The stars. Like yep. Things, yeah. Astrological bodies. <clears throat> you would have thunder and lightning, so weather. You also have family gods. So this, this was really important too. Um, <clears throat> There would be gods of, let's say, let's say you had a great uncle or a, a great great grandfather who was a very noble person and he was very important to your family. Many cultures in this period would actually worship their ancestors. So, I would call this ancestor worship. It's, it seems here that Saul was starting to, beginning to think that maybe he was a god. Yes, this is it. This gets over here. Where do we have here? Um, well, the first verse says, here we go. Uh, the Lord sent me to anoint you king yep. over his people of Israel. So, yeah, you're right. Saul was feeling pretty powerful about himself. Yeah, and, then he, and then he set up a monument right. for himself. For himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for this. This is exactly it. So one of the things that God was really concerned about was the fact that these pagan religions with their detestable practices, look, I talk a lot about this. Some of the gods that the Israelites worshipped were... Ashtara. Ashtara or uh, Asherah was called the queen of heaven. The, the pagan Israelites considered Ashtara to be the wife of El. Who was El? God Almighty. God. They worshipped a goddess that they thought was the wife of God Almighty. They worshipped gods called Molech. Who remembers what Molech is? I talk about him. Well, they did the child sacrifices yes. and human sacrifices. Yes. Right outside of Jerusalem, they worshipped a god who they believed would give them power if they sacrificed their infant children to a god of fire by burning them alive. <clears throat> now, just think about that for a minute. A woman taking her newborn baby 
and putting it in a fire and lighting it on fire and roasting it to death while it's alive and awake. Now, can you start to see here how God is like, this is, you are out of your minds. You're out of your minds for doing this. I don't want any hint of this crap going on in your society. Why? God is trying to get these people off the ground for truth and righteousness. I want them to believe in truth. Truth. I want them to focus their society on love and compassion and mercy and grace. But I can't even start with that until these people are out of the way. And the problem here, too, is remember, what happens when a nice uh, Hebrew boy meets a nice Amalekite girl? What do they tend to do? Instead of going towards God, they start going towards the gods of the Amalekites. They do what people have been doing since time began. They get married, they have babies, and they compromise on their religion. I cannot emphasize this enough, how important it is for the young people in here. Be very careful the kind of mate that you choose because it will, it will impact you for the rest of your life. These people would intermarry with these very pagan cultures, and guess what? Guess who the first thing to go in that kind of situation is truth. <coughs> and the worship of Yahweh himself. And God knew this. He's like, I'm trying to establish a people, a chosen people on this planet who I have blessed through a covenant process to reveal the truth of the universe. This is the truth, folks. This right here. That ain't going to happen until I can get rid of all of the terrible, detestable practices that are going on around them. So in this case, God said, I have a command for you. And part of it, too, have to remember is God is testing Saul here. Does God test us? You better believe it. He does test us. Twice here, Saul is quoted saying, the Lord your God. Ah. What does that tell you? He's moved on. He's like, what? Yeah, whatever, Samuel. You know, if that's what you believe God told you, that's fine. Your here's, God. I know better. Yep. Uh, yep. you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna sacrifice all the we kept the best sheep to sacrifice to your God. What a lie! And 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 so here's the thing. So wrap up the first part, which is God is trying to establish a culture that is pure, that is focused on Him, and records truth and maintains truth. The second thing He's trying to do is trying to counter what is the normal <clears throat> cultural practice of the time, which is in warfare. In antiquity, what happens to all of the plunder and spoil of the people who are defeated? It gets distributed amongst the victors of the battle. The victors get it. The victors get it. I want to I make this very clear. How many people have studied the Roman Empire? Who has heard of the Roman Empire before? Raise your hands. I know you've heard of it. Okay, <laughs> good. The Roman economy was based on a false economy of plunder. The only reason why the Roman economy thrived for so long is because they kept beating up people and taking their stuff. Folks, that is not a sustainable economy. The economy of the ancient world was based almost completely on taking from others what didn't belong to you by force. Gold, weapons, women, slaves, children, animals, livestock, farm fields, implements, everything. It's so much easier to just go beat someone over the head and take their stuff than it is for you to make it yourself. 
Why would God say, don't take any of the plunder here? Well, you can imagine that like the idols were probably made out of precious materials I like this and things. I like this The temptation to, oh, that's really pretty. That'd look nice in, in my tent or whatever they were living in yeah. at the time. Um, we don't need to get rid of that. And then it turns out, well, that, that's an idol. It's some false god. And then suddenly that false god is in your house and being <coughs> exposed to your family. And, um, you know, multiply that times your whole the whole Israel nation yep. and you've got problems. I like this answer. I don't really think of this very often, but I think you're right. That makes sense to me. Um, <clears throat> I think there's a bigger issue here. I think what God is trying to prevent is something uh, along the lines of this. I don't want you Israelites to live like your neighbors. I don't want you to depend on taking from others what doesn't belong to you. The only reason I'm having you wipe out the Amalekites is because they are an affront to truth. And they are going to try and destroy your belief system. That's the only reason I'm having you wipe them out. It is not so that you can get rich off their stuff. <clears throat> it's not so that you can go and take all their stuff because it doesn't belong to you. And it certainly isn't so that you get used to beating up on other people to take what doesn't belong to you. I believe 100%, and there are many examples in the Old Testament of when God has the Israelites go out and fight their enemies, he does not want them to take their stuff. Why? Because it doesn't belong to them. Well, and also, it, he wants them to depend on him. Yes. Right? Yes. That's yes. exactly it. And they're set apart. They're, he doesn't want them to be like all the other people around that they're trying to be like when they first said, I want a king. They've got this idea that they need to start being like all the other surrounding peoples. Yep. And if they're the ones out growing their economy by plunder. Plus, I think he wants to test their obedience. Yes. Yeah, that's like the bogus, right? <laughs> I depend <clears throat> on spoils. And that's part of the reason why God was against them setting up a king yeah. for so long. So just depend on me, I'm the king. Yeah. This is it. This is really it. And what do kings tend to do? Take stuff. Go out and take stuff. They're really good at taking stuff. Look, Israelites, what has Egypt been doing for 2,000 years? Going out and taking other people's stuff that didn't belong to them. God's like, do not be like the Egyptians. Do not be like the Assyrians. Don't be like the Macedonians. Don't be like the Mycenaeans. Don't be like the Babylonians. Don't be like the Syrians. The list goes on and on and on and on. Don't be like those other people. I want you to be set apart. I want you to be holy. I want you to be holy. I want you to live. This might sound like an oxymoron. And believe me when I say that life is one big oxymoron. God wants his people to live in peace with others. He does. But when those people are attacking him and his people, and they're trying to destroy truth, God fights back. You better believe God's going to fight back. And that's exactly what happens here. Now, I think it's very interesting. Verse 12, I think, I think Ken was getting at this. <clears throat> Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul has gone to Carmel. This is not Mount Carmel. This is a town south of Hebron. There were, there, I think there were a few Carmels in the Bible. <clears throat> there he set up a monument in his own honor. Folks, 
what the heck is Saul doing here? <laughs> He's got 210,000 people that are ready to just oh, we should talk about roll. This. This, we should talk about this. The size of his army. We talked about this last week. There are probably only a few million people at most in this entire region. I want to I make a point here. Um, when, the, when the Israelites came into the promised land, there, we think there were about 2 million Hebrews that came in. There may have been about 2 million people living here at that time. So maybe we have 4 million people living in this whole area. That is, that is a lot of people. I want to make the point here that you think that uh, how many people live in the United States today? Three or 400 million people? <sighs> okay, that's a lot of people. Three or four million people for, for 1000 BC is a ton of people. To have a, an army of 200,000 is a huge number. 5%. So 5% huge. of the Americans were army. Or I don't Force. think that's what it is, right? I don't know. 5% would be a lot. 15 million people. How many? Just over half a percent. Yeah. Okay. And this was representing about five percent of those. Thank you for doing the math, by the way, because I it's Sunday I and I. I <laughs> mean, nobody told me there'd be math. Right. <laughs> I'll handle all the math. Thank you. Tim's math. getting excited here. <laughs> That's true. Our controller. He's gonna he's gonna check your numbers afterwards. Um, he's got this huge army. He's like, dude, I'm invincible now. What happens? Power. <laughs> Absolute power does what? Corrupts absolutely. Corrupts absolutely. How many of the young people have heard that phrase before? <laughs> now you have. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Put that in your mind. Burn that in your brain. What is happening to Saul? He's Saul, funny because he yeah. likes to take credit for things, like he builds himself a monument. But then when he's questioned, the blame tur it turns into the blame game where, it well, the men wanted to yep. keep this stuff and... I tried to stop them, and like he takes credit when he thinks it's good, but when it's bad, he's nowhere to be found. Uh, I would say he's a double talker. Yeah. I would say he's a double talker. He, he kind of says what he has to to the right audience. I'm doing this for your God. If that's not a politician <laughs> saying, I don't know what is, right? Your God made me king. I'm just doing this for your God. Wow. It's like... And I can just see Samuel turning red in the face. Now, by this point, Samuel's probably a very old man. If I saw an 80-year-old man get red in the face, I'd be like, I'm, I'm in big trouble here. <laughs> I do not want to be around this man. Mad enough he cut the other king into pieces. We'll get to that, too. We'll get to that in just a minute. Um, Saul is double-talking. He's going back. Oh, and then he thinks, he's like, but I, he, and instead of just right away saying like, oh yeah, I didn't do what I was supposed to do, he says, but I did obey the Lord. It's like, no. <laughs> he's trying to back out. He's saying, he did. now, now, do you really think he really believed what he said? I would, I would point you to verse 24. What does verse 24 say? When, <clears throat> when pushed, when pushed, what does Saul really respond with? Well, Saul eventually says, all right, I've sinned. My thing is, like, does he think he can convince Samuel that Samuel told it, like, doesn't remember what God really said? This is an old guy. He's, he's old. He's he forgets like, things. If I just say yeah. that I did the right thing, then Samuel's so old, he'll I did the lie. right thing. <laughs> I did the right thing. He goes, I violated his commands and instructions. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. What kind of king is this? Well, he's probably serving the people, and there might be some people in there that are praising him, and like, Mm -hmm. Long live King okay. Saul. Yeah. Look at what we've done. Just think yep. what else we can mm -hmm. do. 
and uh, he probably got cut. Yeah, this King that. stuff's working out all right. We got all kinds hey. of new stuff. We got yeah. all this new cattle. This is awesome. Look how, look how hard Saul had to work for a bunch of donkeys that went missing a few chapters ago. Mm -hmm. Now, he can just send his 200,000-man army out and go get all he wants. Well, wasn't it just like the last chapter that his army was very small, too? Mm -hmm. So he was like, you know, now I don't want to... remember what happened there. Remember what happened. Saul didn't start super popular to begin with. Okay? Saul begins as a man who just is plucked from obscurity... Uh, he is anointed. He kind of just goes back to farming until, <laughs> <laughs> until, uh, until a real battle requires his presence. And now, that's, this is an excellent point. A lot of the people were, were really against Saul. They really, they really did not want him as their king. And you remember, and, and, and Laura is absolutely right, a whole bunch of his army fled. They deserted him. So this is also a man, you have to remember, who never really was very popular to begin with. And he has lost a lot of support from his people. And now, to the point here, what, what do you think a person like that wants to do in order to keep his position? Just wants to make him happy. I'm gonna make him happy. If this means I'm gonna stay king, fine. I'll do what it takes to make the people happy. I want you to read, did I write it down here? Proverbs 29.25, who can read that for me? You can do it in French. I'm just kidding. I don't speak French. <laughs> the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man is a snare. Let's burn that on our brains. The fear of man is a snare. When push comes to shove, you're afraid of public perception versus following God Almighty. Which side should you err on? This has a right answer. God, for sure. Who do everyone in this room, myself included, tend to err on the side of? Men, because they're right in front of us, right? There's not a single person on this earth, I think, that can stand up and say, I will never worry about what other people think about me. That is human nature, folks. That is human nature. It is so hard to do, but I trust me. Trust God. If you believe God is who he says he is, and you trust in him, you have nothing to fear from other people, no matter how angry they might get at you. And this is why I can't be a politician, because I don't want people to hate me and, uh, you know, tear me to pieces online and stuff like that. But I'm weak, you know? God is strong. Did you have something else you wanted to say? Because I kind of cut you off there a little bit. But she's like, no, we'll talk later. <laughs> <laughs> I love the last part here. Let's talk about the last part. Samuel and Saul are getting into it. They're getting into it. Saul's desperate. Saul I mean, he is tears desperate. Saul, Samuel's robe. Let's off talk about of him. this. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. Look, how many of you have watched Judge Judy? <laughs> or Joe Kenda? <gasps> oh, yeah. Got her. Yeah. She's awake now. She's paying attention. <laughs> well, I don't know what happened. Uh, my friend just turned to leave and I just happened to grab, uh, you know, he just touched my arm in his robe tour. Bullcrap. <laughs> Bullcrap. There has been an altercation here. 
There has been a physical altercation. Who stands to lose the most out of this? Saul. 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 Always ask yourself, who stands to lose the most when there's some kind of physical fight? And that'll tell you a lot about how it started. There is a physical fight between a man who is head and shoulders taller than everyone else in the prime of his life, probably in his 30s, very strong, physically fit, and this tiny little shriveled 80-year-old old prophet. Who's going to win that fight? Saul. Saul is a bully. And I'll just put it out there. It is obvious to me by reading this passage that Saul gets so mad that he gets his hands on, on Samuel. And he wants, to, he wants to tear him apart. What ends up happening is, we don't know the whole story. Again, not every detail is recorded here. But in the end, we know a couple of things. First of all, Samuel, Samuel is damaged. His clothing is damaged. Secondly, Samuel will never go see Saul again in his life. What does that tell you? I think Samuel can take care of himself. I mean, if he ripped apart, what's his name? Agag. Agag. I imagine that was a uh, kind of a show of force, too. It's like, maybe this is like Yoda, this you is know? I don't know. <laughs> well, I think it's also a, um, maybe, a, I, I don't know if it's a sign, but like, as uh, Saul ripped his robe, he ripped the, the nation of Israel away from you. And not only that, mm -hmm. You know, it's just a kind of a, a symbol of, of death, mm -hmm. you know, separation. Oh, geez. It's getting late. We've, we've talked a lot about verse 15, or chapter 15. Um, I agree 100% here. The other thing I want to keep in mind is, for those of you who have not read the other parts of 1 Samuel, you read this part about Samuel uh, putting Agog to death before the Lord at Gigal. Samuel is not known to be a warrior. I think it's important to point out here that in the previous chapters, Samuel is never leading an army. He is never fighting, and he is never putting people to death. This is, as far as I know, the first it, first of any indication that, that Samuel has some kind of, how do I say this, aggressive <laughs> bone in his body, okay? I think it's like, though, that it shows that yeah. like Samuel stepped up to do what Saul, Yes. he stepped up to show this is what a king should do. Nope. You know, if Saul's not going to follow God, I'm going to show you yep. what following God's like, and I'm mm -hmm. going to do, you know, finish what God wanted. That's you know? it. That's it. He had the guts, the chutzpah. I think Saul needed Samuel to come back with him. He needed him to um, have the outward support yep. for the rest of the country to, you know, continue to give him his uh, yep. due respect or honor his position. I think yeah. if Samuel would have left Saul, the people probably would have also left him and his his kingdom would have crumbled. I like that answer. I like it. I think it makes sense. You know, when I ask myself, what is the text trying to tell me and, and what makes the <clears throat> most sense here? That makes the most sense, that, that, the, that the monarchy ends there, that they're like, no, this really didn't work out for us. And, and we've also made the point, you know, a couple weeks ago, why Saul? Why was Saul the first king? And, and I think we kind of came at this answer that, you know, God made it very clear. He didn't want to give the Israelites a king. And part of giving them Saul first was to show them kind of, you get what you ask for, right? We said, <laughs> be careful what you ask for. 
If it's not God's will, you just might get it, and it might not be something you like. We will now contrast that with the second king of Israel. Who is the second king of Israel going to be? David. The greatest king in the history, the greatest earthly king in the history of the Israelite people. Can I? Laura made a comment about Saul being humble in the beginning. And I find it interesting in this chapter that when God got a hold of Saul for his purpose, Mm -hmm. Saul lost sight of God. And he lost, he lost that humility um, that he started with. And it's, you know, I, I, I compare that to my life. And yep. I, you know, when, when things are going my way and life is good and money's flowing and health is good and all that kind of stuff, I re- that's when I start to yep. lose sight of, of God. It's when I struggle and when I have things that I need him for is when I really... Pay attention. Um, <clears throat> through that chapter, he just—it's like he just—I mm-hmm. got this, mm-hmm. you know—and and, it's—I don't—I don't want to—I don't want to make a statement that God likes to keep us down so we depend on Him, but we have to recognize that when we depend on Him, that's when things mm-hmm. are good. And if we don't stay humble in that, somebody else is going to come along and humble us, or God yes. will. I think that's the key, is no matter how big we get or how much authority we have, <clears throat> he still is bigger, and then he still has authority over everything. You know, I kind of reconcile this, and I don't know that I've ever really gotten my head around this before, but in Philippians 2, Paul is talking about Jesus, and he said, Have the attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I I love it. Jesus is God, and yet recognized who God is. I love it. There is no better example of a servant leader than Jesus of Nazareth, our king. We talk about this this human nature. The gene for for human nature is I'm in control. I I want to be in control of my life because I feel like I don't have control. And when I do something good, I'm going to take all the credit for it. I'm in charge. You do what I say. And the buck stops with me. The problem with this entire model is what? Are humans perfect? Are you in charge of the universe? I think we'll be surprised to see how little we are we're in charge of. Yes. <laughs> I think right now we think we're in charge of our lives for the most part. And then when, no. when we fall short, mm-hmm. then we let God step in. That's it. But really, I think we're going to be surprised at how like we really have no control over anything. I mean, like God's control. Like He has so much control that we don't even. Why is God? Why is why does God care about this? What is the right model here? We've talked about this. Leader, manager, everyone. This is the right model. This there's no God anywhere in here. There's God's nowhere to be found here. This is the right model. This is the biblical model. This is the right model. This life is training for eternity. 
You may not like to hear that. That may go against your worldview. It's the truth. This life is training for eternity. This life will end. No matter what you do or how powerful you are, how rich you are, how many people like you, how many Instagram followers you have, how much money you have in your bank account, how many cars you have, how big your house is, your life's going to come to an end. It may be tomorrow. It may be 20 minutes from now. I hope it's not 20 minutes from now. God's trying to teach you something to prepare you for eternity. You are not the biggest fish in the pond. Get over yourself. What happens when you are humble and you accept that you're not the biggest fish in the universe? He who humbles himself will be exalted. Yes. You will be exalted. You will see that there are many options, maybe that you didn't come up with. Maybe you aren't the smartest person in the universe. Maybe other people's ideas do have merit. This is training, folks. God hates proud people. Why? Because you have to learn that you are not in charge of the universe. And once you do that and you accept the fact that maybe God knows what he's talking about, maybe other people have good ideas, maybe even the everyone else category can help you to be a good leader, then you will be an amazing leader. You will be an amazing leader. Let's contrast that now by reading 1 Samuel chapter 16. Let's look at it this way. Here's Saul's worldview. Here's David's worldview. Who would like to read 1 Samuel chapter 16, the whole thing for me? The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Elab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him but the Lord said to Samuel do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him for the Lord sees not as a man sees man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel and the Lord said neither has the Lord chosen this one then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said neither has the Lord chosen this one and Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. 
Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skilled in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said to him, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Thank you. What do you think? Another humble choice. Yeah. As uh, that one verse says that the that man looks on the outside, the uh, that guy looks at the heart. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember where I uh, learned this, but if you wrote up on chapter eleven, it talks about the youngest. Mm-hmm. They're still the youngest out in the field, you know, like mm-hmm. the insignificant one. Yep. And you look at the uh, what that means. The definition is unimportant. <laughs> Congratulations, David. You're unimportant. <laughs> what does that remind you of? Where have we heard this before? That the the blessing goes to the youngest or not the firstborn. Where have we heard that? Ephraim and Manasseh. Over and over again. Really. Oh, I don't know. All of the patriarchs. <laughs> right? Patriarchs. Almost all of the patriarchs, their sons, not the firstborn, secondborn, or, or later or last, second to last, would be the, the anointed one or the chosen one or the blessed one. They would inherit. <clears throat> Here we're seeing it again, folks. It's like harmony. It's like a, a poem. And like you said, Roger, God is not looking on the outside. Oh, he had dreamy eyes. <laughs> but that was about it. He was short, ruddy. Um, you know, he was, he was kind of a tough-looking kid. Um, probably dirty because he's been out in the field with a sheep, probably doesn't smell great. The others had washed up. Others had washed and put on their, their nice clothes for this feast because that's what you would do. Um, here comes this dirty little runt of a kid in. He's not tall. He's not head and shoulders above everyone else. And what is the very first job that God gives to the anointed, the new anointed king of Israel? What is his first job? Soothe Saul. Serve. Serve a tyrant. Humbly. I was like doing this study on the kings of Israel and they were talking about um, how how the way God works is so like weird to us. (laughs) Like God has David, like he's preparing David to be the king. And how is he prepared? By being a shepherd and by like playing the harp for another king. Like we would not think like, oh, this person's going to be a king. Oh, they better go to like military school or like learn fighting tactics and how to use a sword and all these different things. But God's way of doing things is so (laughs) different. Like it's so surprising to us. (laughs) We don't understand. It is so different. And that's what's hard. 
because God's ways are not your ways. They're not my ways. They're his ways, and they make sense to him. They will make sense to you if you ask him to explain it. This is like asking Jesus to explain his parables. If you want to know, if you truly want to understand, God will explain it to you. This is a man who sings on a harp. He's serving. He's serving his tyrant king. And as we will learn, this is a man who eventually will have every reason in the world to kill his master. Let's be honest, folks. How many of you know the story that will play out here in the rest of 1 Samuel? What happens to David and Saul? Is it going to be a great relationship? It's going to be pretty bad. It's going to be so bad that for much of David's early career and life, he will be on the run from Saul for his life. Saul, David, will have every reason to kill Saul, to take over the throne, what's rightfully his, to protect his life, to get revenge. Will David kill Saul? Will David have every opportunity to kill Saul? Yes. You better believe it. This shows you the character, and on the outside, he may not look like much, but it what counts is on the inside. It's your character. It's who you are. And we'll talk about that. Any last thoughts today? You guys got full blast. Uh, welcome. Uh, this, is, this is an intense one, um, but I think this was a great chapter. Did you have something to say here? Yeah, a follow-up on the, the Philippians passage there. Chapter yeah. or verse 9 says, For this reason, talking about Jesus and his humility to the point of dying on the cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and of those who are heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the God, God the Father. I love that. I think it was Getty Lee that said, and the meek shall inherit the earth. I love it. We'll end on that. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week.